Welcome to the Female Disruptors Office Hours, a podcast audio experience created for women by women. My name is Lisa Beyer, and I will be your host. Each episode, I will interview females and minorities disrupting in their space. We're going to talk about how you can break through the age and gender discrimination, how women can take back your power, how you can have anything you want at any age. So let's get started. Hey, David, welcome to the Female Disruptors Office Hours podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me. So I'm just going to give you a little intro and then I'm going to let you do the better intro. But most of the time I've known you, which has been about 15 years, up until a year ago, I knew you as David, the C-suite, chief financial officer, marketing officer, a consultant, coach, but I never knew that you were a women's advocate. So activist and advocate. So I just found that out last year when I was planning the first Female Disruptors virtual summit and you emailed me back and you said, Lisa, I want to help. So give us a little bit of the background on how that came about and why you're so passionate about it. Well, and passionate is a good word. You know, it's really interesting. I started off as a civil rights advocate and a civil rights activist. And that started with the bombing of the church in Birmingham in 63. So obviously I'm a little older than a lot of the people that may view this podcast. And four young black girls were killed. And we were having dinner. And my dad, who was a World War II vet, high school graduate, third in his class, but was so poor, could not go to school for free. His father had passed away when he was a teenager. And his brother joined the army so they could live for free and send their money home to their moms. This is before World War II. And he served in World War II and was in Patton's army and got a you know, bronze star and a purple heart. And, you know, and when he came back to life here in the United States, he was a butcher. He was a teamster, a very blue collar guy, worked six days a week. And he looks at me and he said, when the rights of one person is being violated, everyone's rights are being violated. And he looked me right in the eye and goes, what are you going to do about it? I'm a young teen. I said, I don't know. Well, I ended up on a bus on the way to Birmingham. And from there, I became a civil rights advocate and activist. I was in 67 in Washington for Martin Luther King's junior speech. I became an anti-war activist. I was at the Democratic Convention in 1968 in Chicago. And that's where my passion was. My passion was fighting for civil rights of African-Americans. I also did, you know, non-union lettuce and grapes for the United Farm Workers. But in November of 1971, I met a young lady and who would later become my wife. And we were talking and, you know, getting to know each other. And she was in the School of Agriculture, going to be a kindergarten teacher. And she said to me, she looked at me and said, David, if I were a male, if I was a man, I'd be in the school of business because that's really what I want to do. And we talked all through the night about it. And and what really came to my mind was, from my civil rights background, if an African-American friend of mine had said the same thing, you know, if I were white, I would be in the school of business, I would be livid on his behalf. And I was livid on Nancy's behalf. And we talked through the night. And the next day, she re-enrolled in the school of business, ended up being a top 10 senior in the school of business, went, got her MBA at the University of Chicago, and was a, one of the first female executives in mobile oil in her, in her 20s. And uh, what was really interesting was the amount of pushback she got from her male colleagues because we had a child together and they would say things to her. I can't believe you're here when you have a baby at home. And she said, well, my husband's the primary caretaker. And I was a high school teacher at the time. And uh, they had nasty things to say about that. And today people would be fired for some of the things that they did. But I became a 
rights activist, very involved in the ERA movement. I know you've seen a picture of me with my daughter at the time was two, and now she's 46, with an ERA Now shirt on at a walkathon in 1978, where I spoke for 25, 30,000 people on behalf of the ERA. And I've been like that ever since. I have three daughters and I've fought for them. And they have, they are very confident young women who are successful in their own right. So that's how I got involved with this. So your timeline for the fight for equality is really every decade of your life up until this year, well, even. Not, not as a child, but yes. Yeah, so, so well, practically, because you were brought up by, you know, you were mentioning your dad was very influential. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're, yeah. We're, talking, we're talking 60 years in civil rights, just about the, yeah. the, a, few, a few years less than 60 years, and certainly over 50 years in support of women's rights, which is why I'm so passionate about it. And most recently, well, you know, you were a big supporter and are a big supporter for female disruptors, but I understand you recently spoke at the ABWA meeting in Kansas City about leveling the playing field for women in Kansas City. And, you know, it was very relevant to the women in that room. And you know, everybody listening to this as well. So walk us through what that looked like. Well, you know, it, 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 <laughs> in, in some ways, you know, here's this old white guy speaking for all these women from Missouri and Kansas City on leveling the playing field in business. But I changed the topic to leveling the playing field in business and in life, because I do not believe you can separate the two. And I start, and I didn't, there was no PowerPoint. There was no lecturing. It was just inquiry. It was just questions. And my first question was, how many people believe that the playing field for women has to be leveled? And there were several women there who said, well, I think the pendulum is moving too fast and too much in favor of women, which is not a surprise in Kansas City, you know, Missouri side or the Kansas side. But I did not test them. I Instead, I said, everybody take out their phones. I just have questions for you. First question was, what percentage of Fortune 500 CEOs are women? And they look it up and someone raises their hand and said, 8%. And I said, oh, by the way, how many African-American people, men or women, are CEOs of Fortune 500? And the answer was six, not 6%, six out of 500. And then I asked, what percentage of dollar that a man earns do women earn in today's society? And it was 82 cents. And then I would ask more questions one of the questions I asked is, what is the labor force of nonprofits? And it's 75% women. My next question was, out of the top 10 CEOs and nonprofits, how many are women? And the answer was one. And after asking six or seven of these questions, and then I said, oh, how many women presidents we've had? Of course, it was zero. How many women senators are there? And the answer was 24. How many representatives do we have? And you know, the percentage I forgot was 27, 28%. And uh, it really got people going. I said, does anyone still believe that the pendulum is swinging too far? And of course, no. Right. Yeah, because how far have we really come, you know, walking us through the decades? And what I love about you, David, is that every time I talk to you, you have all these like rattling off all these statistics that really get people like thinking. And then you believe that the answers are really in the past. So what does that mean? Well, I was a history major in college, which was <laughs> interesting. I was a history major in college, and I ended up running technology companies for a living. So who knows? But let's look back for a moment. Let's talk about the suffragette movement, which really started more in Europe before the United States. But I do, I think it's telling 
when former slaves, male slaves, when they were freed, got the right to vote 60 years approximately before women got the right to vote. And you go and you look at things like Women's Sunday, which was held in London, which was one of the largest suffragette movements. It was 1908. Thousands of women took to the streets in 1908, demanding the right to vote in Great Britain. Or we could look at Black Friday, where on November 18, 1910, women were marching to the House of Parliament for voting rights. And violence was meted out to the protesters by the police and male bystanders. And we're not just violence like Billy Club kind of violence. There were women who were raped. There were women who were sexually molested to subjugate them in this particular instance. And even in the United States, the day before Woodrow Wilson's presidential inauguration, thousands of women marched along Pennsylvania Avenue along the same route that the presidential procession was going to go the next day to march for the right to vote. And I've already mentioned like the ERA movement and walkathons and other political action that women took. And yet, despite all of this, women got the right to vote, but no one could honestly say the playing field is level for women in business and politics or in life. Yeah. I mean, you know, as an entrepreneur, I didn't really realize how much the, the playing fields are not level up until probably the past five years because I felt like I controlled my own destiny and I wasn't part of like the corporate side of things where it's you know you, you're you don't have control over your own destiny at all as a minority or or as a female. So it was, you know, over the past five years when I started female disruptors because I saw that women, it was harder to get my female clients media exposure than my male clients. And most of the journalists were men and it was during the Me Too movement. And so I started Female Disruptors as a way to give my female clients their fair share of the spotlight. And then fast forward, you know, now I'm doing Female Disruptors full time and finding out even more of, you know, just the statistics are crazy, which you brought a lot of them to my attention. But what do you think are the obstacles to level the playing fields today? What is standing in our way and why haven't we made more progress than we have? Well, let's start... First of all, let's talk about the movement today. And there was a great march when Trump got elected, you know, with a million women march in, in Washington. But why wasn't there follow-up? And, and there are several issues here. One is, there's a, it really revolves, I think a lesson to be learned is a, a book by Paulo Freire called Pedagogy of the Oppressed. And there are two motifs in here. The first, which is very subtle, is that the way we learn in our education system is like we're empty piggy banks and they're, they're dropping knowledge in this law. And Friday points out that learning should be a, a collaborative effort between the learner and the teacher, and it should be done with questions. The other thing he said was, which was more overt, which is that when people who are oppressed get into positions of power, they emulate their oppressors. And you and I talked about this a little bit, and you know, it was sort of like an epiphany for you. He goes, oh, well, that's probably why statistically people who are beaten as kids become child beaters. People whose parents were alcoholics are more likely to become alcoholics. So it was interesting at the ABWA when I talked about pedagogy of the oppressed, and one of the women came up to me afterwards and we were just talking, and she said, David, that is so interesting. 
we're in a, a group of middle managers and there are a lot of women as middle managers, but there, there were no women executives. And one of the women managers got promoted to be an executive at this company. We were all thrilled for her. And then it turned out she treated us more poorly than the men did. And 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 I made that might be perception because they didn't expect her to treat them like that. But what she did is she emulated her oppressors. And to be one of the guys, she oppressed her what was her colleagues there. The other is the movement is so splintered. It is so unfocused. And there's a reason for that, because those people in power do not want them people to really focus on how do I get economic and political power? And so you have these cultural wars. And what happens is, and this group of women that I spoke with is a really good example. Politicians appear to appeal to your fear, your fear of minorities, right? Your, your racism, your fear of you know, homophobia, centricism, anti-Semitism. They take your mind off of what women need to do to support women, and they appeal to all these fears that people had. And you know, they're, one of the senators in Missouri is Hawley, and he wrote a book. And I said, what book did he write? And they were looking up on their phones, and he wrote a book called Manhood. And I said, well, is this a coming-of-age book? And I was sort of being facetious. And they said, no, as they read what the book was about, it's about that we're losing masculinity and economic and the economy leadership, economic leadership and political leadership. And like the women were like, oh my gosh. And I said to them, how could any of you, anyone who supports a leveling the playing field for women in business and in life, support a candidate who is so anti-woman? And the, the, these people were glassy-eyed because I was challenging some of the very, be, you know, the core of their being, because, you know, women are not just women, you know, women are human beings, and the same racist attitudes that maybe in men, or homophobia, or anti-immigrant, these people also hold. Yeah, and I think it sends a, a message. I mean, one thing, you know, female disruptors, our mission and our vision is not anything against men. It's, we're just asking for equality and we need men to be on our side. And so, you know, we're not writing a book that's like why women need to be like the most powerful. We just want to be equal. No, and, but women need to focus on women's rights. Right. They really do. They need to take those other issues. You know, you and I talked about like even gender issues. Like what pronoun are you called? Is that the fight we want to fight? I'm not saying it's unimportant, but we're talking about one half of 1% of the population identifies as transgender. And we should support transgender rights and we should be inclusive. But on the other hand, that cannot be call our calling card. We are not going to win over and gain economic and political equality for women when we are distracted by cultural issues. So I think what you're saying is we're just too fragmented. And when I say yeah. we just, I mean, you know, culturally, All? yeah, we're, we're focused on too many different, you know, issues that aren't going to move the needle where if we focused more on a, you know, very primary, a couple of primary issues that we would have more, more results quicker. If women supported candidates, male or female, who supports women's rights, which are under attack today, 
and have always been under attack, <laughs> then women will be successful in a democracy and gaining more economic and political power. And that's what this is about. How do women gain economic and political power? Because that will equate to leveling the playing field. And I worry about that for my three daughters, uh, who all in their own rights are, are, are activists, activists or advocates for their own causes. But even the three of them have their own causes. They're not all on the same ship, right? They're not, they, 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 one's an environmentalist. One's a women's rights advocate. One's a, a children's rights advocate. I get it. That's their passion. Well, what I, what I like to cover is what are some small actionable steps that our audience can do in the right, you know, a step in the right direction that might be easy they can do today and maybe bigger picture on what are some actionable steps that they can take, you know, that are maybe going to take a little bit more effort than something they can do like right now today. Well, the easiest is join the online communities become a member of female disruptors, become a member of published nation. I mean, there are places for women to get together to discuss women's issues. And what's really interesting about that, that these online communities have no national borders because this is not just the United States issue. This is issues for women all around the world. And there are women in other parts of the world who have way fewer rights and way fewer opportunities than women in the United States. So first thing is women need to join other women's groups. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's not that they should exclude men, but they're, they're yes, well, in some ways they need to exclude men. They need to get together and discuss their issues. The second thing they need to do is agree on a course of action. And it's not enough to join a community. You have to act. And I believe women need to go to the streets. They need to go vote. They need to be, you know, they need to be pressuring their representatives on the state level, the municipal level, and the federal level to support women's rights. And that's how you begin to get change. You know, I grew up in a time where segregation was the law of the land. I want you to think about that for a second. Even if you wanted your child as a white person to go to school with a child of color in certain parts of the United States, you couldn't. It was against the law. That's insane. Right? Segregation of bathrooms, segregation, you know, not being able to go to the same restaurant, stay at the same hotels. That was the law of the land. And it's changed. By the way, is it better? Yes. Have we achieved racial equality? Even less than equality for women. So the answer is no, because you can't stop. And that is what women need to do. I grew up at a time where we believed that what you did as an individual really matters. And what we do collectively and collaboratively as individuals can change the world. I believe, Lisa, what you're doing and the people who become part of female disruptors is they're changing the world and they're making the world a better place. I agree. And I said this in my closing statement at the last female disruptors in January, but it's almost like men and women need to be rehabilitated and unwind how they've been maybe like influenced and brought up, whether it's how they were brought up at the schools they went to and see things. And maybe, you know, we did this meditation together earlier, like clearing the mind and thinking fresh and thinking, you know, just kind of eliminating their ways and rehabilitate. 
I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, one of my slogans, you know, I got a lot of them is no one is as smart as all of us. So when women get together and they discuss issues, and I'm sure you've been in meetings like this, someone comes up with an idea and someone says, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about that? And all of a sudden, collaboratively, you have a better idea than any one individual could have come out with on their own. And that's why it's so important for women to be together, to discuss, and then take action. And I, I do want to emphasize that. It's not enough. It can't be a coffee clutch. It's got to be, what are we going to do? How do we how do we take this and make it a political action? And that is where when women will really push the needle and get to the next step. Have we made progress? Sure. I mean, you know, before 19, what, 22, whatever it was, women didn't have the right to vote. Yeah. Well, the headline for this episode is, and you wrote it, the fight for equality is found in economic and political activism. So, you know, voicing your opinion, I agree. Like we all need to be activists for the right for equality and move in order to move the needle. So David, thank you so much for joining me on Female Disruptors Office Hours. And if somebody wants to reach out, where can they connect with you? And I know that you're part of a you have a group in Kansas City that you offer executive coaching for entrepreneurs, but would LinkedIn be the best place? Yeah, LinkedIn would be great. And you know, coming into our meetup group, Kansas City Business Strategy Group, all the consulting I do, by the way, is free. I work with entrepreneurs, most of them women, helping them grow their value of their companies. And there's no charge. I, I do, this is part of me giving back to the community. So... Well, thank you. You're actually the first male guest that I've had on Female Disruptors Office Hours podcast or, you know, in any event. So congratulations. You are the, the first male and I appreciate all of your support. And I know that everybody here listening does too. So David Boyne, thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. Thank you for joining us on the Female Disruptors Office Hours. If you want more, please check out our website at femaledisruptors.com. We are hosting the second annual Female Disruptors Virtual Summit in January 2023, and I would love to see you there, femaledisruptors.com. Thank you so much to our sponsors, The Buyer Group, Goat Social, and Social Media Pros.